want you to grab your Bibles tonight and I want you to go to the book of Luke in chapter number 16. Luke chapter 16. I want to preach on a familiar passage, but maybe in a little different light. Luke chapter 16. I want us to begin reading in verse number 19. Now, you all heard us up here singing, but the real MVP of what just happened was Sister Anna back there with the babies. And uh, I'm thankful for her. And thank you, Miss Anna. Daddy, you got enough courage to handle my redheaded young, and you got a lot of courage. And, and uh, I'm thankful for that. And it seems like me and my wife, we don't, we don't get to sing together like we used to. And uh, so I always appreciate the opportunity to do so. Luke chapter number 16, verse number 19. Luke chapter 16 and verse number 19. If you're there and you love Jesus, say amen. amen. The Bible says, There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. There was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. I want you to notice that just because two of these men have passed, their life, it, it doesn't end, but really, it just begins. The text does not end in verse number 22. The funeral processions have left. Those... Those generous eulogies, they are, they are nowhere to be heard now. And somebody might say, well, it's the end. The casket has been closed. It's been lowered into the ground. It must be over and done with. But that's not where the text ends. Would you notice verse number 23, that first word, and, carries this idea there's more to be added to the story. Not the ending, but just the beginning. And in, not in purgatory. Not in a nightclub. Not at a card table surrounded by, uh, by some of hell's finest. No, and in hell, he lift up his eyes, being in torments. And seeth Abraham afar off. And Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water. And cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things and Likewise, Lazarus, evil things. But now, 
My, how that word now carries such a great weight. But now he is comforted and thou art tormented. And beside all of this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot. Neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Verses 27 and 28 are my texts tonight. Then he said, speaking of this rich man that the Bible calls him, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren. That he may, notice this, testify unto them, lest they also... You don't remember anything else I say from tonight. I want you to remember that phrase, lest they also come into this place of torment. I want to preach tonight on this thought, burdens from the flames. Burdens from the flames. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for being good and thank you for being God. Thank you for being a precious Savior, a present Lord. A friend that sticks closer than a brother. God, for the life of me, I, I do not understand how those that could have caught sweet glimpses of you and your glory would still somehow leave a place like this and return to the slop of this world. God, I pray tonight we'd have a breakthrough night. Father, I pray tonight for that one that is lost. God, I pray that for just a few minutes, God, Lord, they would not be comfortable here. God, I ask for the convicting power of the Holy Ghost to break through the hardness of their heart. Lord, we're glad they're here. And Father, how welcome they are. But Father, we need the Holy Ghost of God to send sweet, powerful conviction in this place. God, I pray for that that child of God, that saved individual, that by your grace can stand and proclaim, I'm not going to hell tonight. Lord, I, I think that we've grown calloused and we've grown cold, that there are many that cannot say that statement. God, I pray you'd give us a fresh burden like never before to win souls to Christ. The hour is late. And I pray, God, you'd help me preach with fervency passion and power. Use me tonight and I'll give you all the glory and it's in the name of Jesus and the church said Amen. Amen. You can be seated tonight. Thank you for standing. For preventative measures, I'm going to go ahead and move the Jesus sign and I promise you I will promptly place it back after I'm done preaching. Tonight you and I come to a familiar passage that no doubt we have heard preached and we have heard taught thousands upon thousands of times. Jesus here in Luke chapter number 16, he begins to tell a story about a place that in our modern day is laughed at, is mocked, and to many it's nothing more but a cuss word. I want to give you a few things about hell tonight. Number one, I want to show you that hell is a place to believe in. Amen. Hell is a place to believe in. 
Now, if we study the Gospels, we know that Jesus would often teach in what is called parables. These were simply stories taken from modern day practice so, so that the people he was teaching could understand. They were, they were present day stories, if you would, that carried heavenly meanings within them. But if you would study the parables of Christ, you would find that never, when, when Jesus taught parables, never would he use specific names in those teachings. Somebody has asked, preacher, this is, it's got to just be a parable that Jesus is teaching. You may try to deny the authenticity of this text, but you'll find that Jesus, he uses a specific name in Lazarus, which tells you and I, the students of scripture, that Jesus is saying, this is not a parable. This is a literal account and a factual story. Jesus, he's not saying that this bears any symbolism or wistful poetry. But this is a literal place. Every time you study hell in the word of God, it is never spiritualized. It is always preached and taught as a literal, real place. I want to say tonight, it's a real place. It is a true place. And it is a place to believe in. Are you listening now tonight? I know we're living in a day of skepticism and, and doubt and deniers. They can, de- they can deny the existence of the abode called hell from now until they draw their last breath. But despite the atheistic denial of hell, hell's flames have never once trickled in, in, in fervency and in veracity. Hell burns as bright today as it's ever burned before. Never once has its heat faltered or wavered. Hell is a real place. Hell is an eternal place. Hell is a literal place. Hell is a true place. Want to say tonight, it's more than a cuss word. Want to say tonight, it's it's more than a figment of our imagination. Hell is a real place. Want to stop and say tonight, I rejoice at the splendors of heaven. I thank God for the joy and the beauty that heaven will bring. I thank God that heaven will fix everything that life and the devil has destroyed. I'm thankful for a place where there'll be no more cancer and there'll be no more tears and there'll be no more suffering and there'll be no more sorrow and the hallelujah and there'll be no more disease. What a day, glorious day that will be when the children of God shall enter into our home for all of eternity. It's good to know. Hallelujah. What a joy. What a joy. What a joy it is to know that the child of God is on their way to a better place. But if we're going to believe he's gone to prepare that better, that better place. If we're going to believe that heaven is a place of streets of gold and splendor. If we're going to believe that, that heaven is a place where of joy and peace and the presence of our God if we're going to believe all that the scripture has to say about the splendors of heaven we must accept the terrors of hell as well it's a place to believe in but secondly hell not only is a place to believe in but hell is a bothersome place Notice verse number 23, and in hell he lift up his eyes. Notice this, not playing cards, not listening to country music, no. Being in what? Torments. And seeth Abraham afar off. And Lazarus in his bosom. Now, 
Notice in the text that there are multiple things plaguing this rich man. This text gives us graphic detail of what those in hell experience. Notice that he has his sight, verse number 23, and in hell he lift up his eyes. This rich man lived his life beholding the pleasures of all that money can buy. But the moment he lifts up his eyes in hell, all he can see and all he can behold are torments. He still has his sight intact. But notice, secondly, his consciousness and his memory is still there in hell. Notice verse number 24. This rich man, he he looked across that gulf and and he remembered Lazarus specifically by name. It tells me and it tells you that your memory will go on with you to hell. Want to say tonight, some of you have sat under great preaching how many times in your life and God forbid you leave this place and die without Christ you'll remember every sermon and you'll remember every song you'll remember that time that red faced preacher came to Mansfield and told you hell is real but heaven's sweet and Jesus made a way that we could go you'll remember every time you heard the sweet song amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me and you'll remember every time you sat in your pew with the Holy Ghost of God knocking on your heart's door, beckoning you to come, drawing you to come, wooing you to come to Christ. And you'll remember every time you shook your head and you told the Lord no. You'll remember every time that grandma came to you with with, with tears in her eyes, begging you to come to Christ. You'll remember every time, hallelujah, that grandma told you that Jesus is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. You'll remember every time she told you with tears and passion that there's nobody like him. There's nothing better than Jesus. There's nobody like the Son of God. There's nothing like the joy of being saved. You remember every time you sat in a pew at Faith Chapel and heard the gospel. This rich man had his memory follow him into hell. His consciousness, his memory, and his sight will follow you into hell. But notice thirdly, he still has the cravings that a fleshly body possesses. And we know that flesh, this man is not flesh, his soul went to hell. But notice that he carried the cravings that a fleshly body would possess. Verse number 24, what does this rich man want? He's begging for just a drop of water to fall on his tongue. You say, preacher, hell sounds like an awful place. You got it right. Amen. Are you listening? want to say tonight, it doesn't matter what you've heard about hell. There won't be parties or concerts or card games. It will be a place void of the common grace of God. When you got in your car to come to the house of God, to Faith Chapel this Sunday night, I'll tell you what you experienced all around you. You experienced what is called the common grace of God. You're breathing God's air. You're standing upright. You looked around and beheld all of His creation. You looked up in the sun. I mean, that fireball, He 
hung millions of miles away, hung it on nothing, and it never falls down. You looked at the common grace of God. But let me tell you, tonight there, there is a place and it's called hell. And it is void of the common grace of God. There'll be no sunrises nor sunsets in hell. You'll never feel a cool breeze blow across your weary cheek in hell. You'll never feel the warm, loving embrace of someone you hold dear in hell. The sound of a precious baby cooing and crying will be absent in that place. I'm trying to tell you, hell is a bothersome, torturous place tonight. It's real and it's eternal. I'm trying to tell you tonight what the TV preacher won't tell you. Hell is a bothersome place. It is a place to believe in. Thirdly night, let me go ahead and submit to you. If you're lost, I'd come get saved right now. We'd shout her out. We'd go on home. It's a place to believe in, a bothersome place. But let me, let me, let me switch focuses if we can tonight. Hell is a place of burdens. Hell is a place of burdens. Would you look at verse number 27? Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. This rich man's got a family he loves. For I have five brethren that he, meaning Lazarus, may testify unto them. I tell you what's on his mind. Would you look at it? Look at it with me tonight. Here's what's on his mind. Lest they also come into this place of torment. This rich man finds that hell is a place without a back door. Hell is a place that he himself cannot escape from. And notice how the tone of this rich man, this lost rich man, changes from himself to others. Notice clearly in the text, from the depths of the charred walls of hell, i tell you what is born in the heart of the rich man. Are you listening? That rich man's heart in that place, a burden for the lost, is born. From the depths of that charred place called hell, he begins to have a burden for others, lest they also come into this place of torment. On a Sunday night, I believe the greatest burden for sinners is not coming from the broken heart of a preacher. I don't even believe it's coming from the life of a busy soul winner. I don't believe the greatest burden for sinners is coming from a deacon, a singer, or a teacher. I don't even believe tonight that the greatest burden possessed for sinners without Christ is not even coming from someone saved. But I believe the greatest burden for sinners tonight is bore and held by the countless millions that are in hell this very evening. Tonight I came to ask someone, where is our burden for sinners? Where is our burden to reach the hopeless and doomed with the gospel of Jesus Christ? I came to ask someone tonight, where is our burden, our longing, our desire to reach someone that lest they also go to this place of torment? May I preach for just a little while tonight 
We are burdened about such things that hold no weight in the sight and scope of eternity. We are burdened over opinions. We are burdened over recognition. We are burdened over applause and accolades and admiration. We get burdened when the line at McDonald's exceeds five minutes. We are burdened about Johnny's T-ball team that keeps striking out, bless God, and you've yet to win a game. We're burdened about playoffs and, and NBA and NCAA. We're burdened about thermostat numbers and the collar of the carpet. Oh, may I stop and say tonight, God, give us a fresh burden. Not for the temporal. Not for the things that will pass away. Not for the here and the now. But God, give us a burden like never before on a Sunday night that will leave this place with passion and fire in our eyes and say, God, if one more sinner will go to hell, they'll have to go to hell after I've shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. I'm wondering on a Sunday night would we put aside petty differences? Would we put aside frivolous temporal matters that hold no weight in the sight of eternity? Would some born again child of God say, oh God, I want a fresh burden. My babies are dying and going to hell. My friends are dying and going to hell. Our churches are dried up down on God. God give us a fresh burden God break our hearts for the lost and the dying God rend our minds that we might look at someone that doesn't know you and determine in our heart if they'll go to hell they'll have to go after I've given them the gospel God give a burden back to the church of the living God to stop fighting and bickering over ridiculous petty pathetic matters and let's get a burden for sinners because there may not be a burden in Father's house. But you better believe tonight, and I think we've got Scripture to back it up. There's burdens from the flames. I see this man's burden. Three, three simple things and we'll pray and be done. Number one, this man had a burden for prayers of desperation. This man had a burden to pray prayers of desperation. Look at verse number 27. Then he said, notice these next two words. Notice this rich man's first response after finding out there is no back door to hell. Here's what the Bible said. Then he said, what's he do? I pray. Even this lost man with no hope and no help in eternity without God understands there's one thing we can do and that's pray. The first response from a lost man in hell is usually the last response of the child of God. He says, I pray. Want to challenge you, young person, mama and daddy, before you write off this crowd, this modern day generation, before you write them off and say they're too wicked, hellacious and vile, and they're too far gone, may I ask you, sir, and may I ask you, ma'am, how much time have you spent on bended knees begging the power of God to break the chains that the enemy has put on them? When's the last time you fell and bowed your head humbly before an almighty God and say, God, before I write them off, I'll spend... Oh, I'll spend every waking moment of my life with a sinner on my mind, with him on my mind, with their salvation on my mind. God, before I write them off, I'll have to spend time on bending knees calling out their name. How much time have you spent on your knees asking the Holy Ghost of God to endue you with power as you give them the gospel? 
How much time have you spent beseeching the throne room of God that our flesh would be crucified and muzzled long enough for us to look past their earrings and tattoos and see a soul in need of the gospel of Jesus Christ? I know they don't look like us. Are you listening now tonight? I know they don't look like us and sound like us and talk like us and smell like us. But may, may, I, may I ask you to go down memory lane? Neither did you before Jesus found you. Want to stop and say tonight, if He saved you, He can save them. You say, preacher, what's the difference? Jesus is the difference. Prayers of desperation. I'll give you two more quickly and we'll pray. Feel the Lord wants us to pray tonight. Secondly, prayers of desperation. But this man had a burden. Secondly, that the precious be delivered. The precious be delivered. Notice verse number 27. He says this, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren. This rich man had a burden for his family. This rich man had a burden for those that were kin, those that were his blood. He was broken for his family. He, he was longing to see his family trust the Lord, lest they also come to this place. He was broken and burdened for his family. I'm wondering this morning, do we have a burden for our family? Oh God, give fathers a burden to raise their children and raise their home in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. God give us some daddies with a desire to put the ball down for five seconds and tell our sons and daughters about the glorious Savior that has changed everything in our life, not in the religious, not in a superficial manner, but from a tender heart that cries, your dad was a sinner, your dad was bound in the chains of hell and chains of shame and sin, but Jesus came by my way and nothing's been the same since he saved me. God give us some mamas that's tender and humble and willing to teach their babies about the love of God. I'm afraid tonight oh we've lost our burden for our family. May I say daddy if you don't have a burden for your family who will? If you don't have a burden mama who will? God give us some mamas and papas and some daddies and mamas with a broken heart and a tear in our eyes saying Oh God, I want to see my family come to Jesus Christ. God, on a Sunday night, give us a burden for those that are precious to us. He's burdened for his family. He's begging to see his family get right, lest they also come into this place of torment. I can tell you on the authority of Scripture, those in hell are burdened for their families. And I think it's time mamas and daddies and mammals and papas in the church do the same as well. See the precious delivered thirdly. I'm done. This man, thirdly, had a burden for passionate declaration. Passionate declaration. Would you notice it with me? Look, look, at, what, look at what this rich man says. Verse number 28 and I'm done. Here's what he said. For I have five brethren. Notice that he, speaking of Lazarus, may not speak to them. Not bore them. What's he say? That he may testify. Are you listening? That he may testify unto them. 
That word testify, it means to attest or protest earnestly with passion. means to charge someone. Notice that even a lost man in hell did not have a burden for someone to go whimsically to discuss weather and politics. But he had a burden that someone would passionately proclaim and declare, hell is real and there is a way to never experience its flame. Here's what I'm afraid, preacher, I'm done. Done tonight. Here's what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid of men and women growing so tired of everything else that they're passionate about that a passion for sinners on their way to hell has grown cold and numb. He said, he said he wants somebody just to go back and testify. Can I stop and ask a question on a Sunday night? Has the Lord gave you anything to testify about? Well, God bless two of you. I said, has the Lord gave anybody at Faith Chapel anything to testify about? I'm going to try it one more time. Has the Lord gave anybody in this place on a Sunday night something to tell somebody about? Oh, here's what we ought to do on a Sunday night. You say, preacher, I don't know what to say. I've got a question. Are you saved? And if so, you've got something to say. Hallelujah. If he saved your soul, plucked you out of the fires of hell, wrote your name in the Lamb's book of life, you've got something to testify about. You've got something, hallelujah, to passionately proclaim and declare to someone about. May I stop and say tonight, God doesn't want out of you what you don't know, God just wants what you do know. If you know God loves them, then tell them God loves them. If you know Jesus died on the cross to save them, then testify that Jesus Christ died to save sinners and He can save them too. God doesn't want what you don't know. He doesn't want what's above your head. He, he doesn't want deep doctrines and truths. If you don't understand it, I'll tell you what He wants. He wants what you do know. Paul said this beginning his gospel ministry as much as is in me I'm ready to preach the gospel now I think we have hid behind that cliche well I just don't know what to say for far too long if God saved you you've got something to say God doesn't want what we don't know he wants what we do know passionate declaration this rich man just wanted somebody that loved, was passionate about God Amen. to go tell his family there is a hell and it's real, but you don't have to go there. Are you listening? He just wanted somebody that's in love with Jesus to go and tell them there's a way to never come to this place. Amen. Burdens from the flames. Burdens from the flames. I wonder tonight, hell's burden for the lost. Would we say on bended knees tonight, crying out to God, would we say, God, I, I want a burden for the lost. If the lost in hell have a burden, for those that do not know Christ and can do nothing about it, my, how it should motivate us Put fresh passion in our hearts to go tell somebody about the love of Christ because we can do something about it. I may have told this here, but I'll, I'll tell it again. I'm young. I've got a limited amount of stories. Somebody say amen right there. 
talked to me in 30 years. Lord willing, I have more stories. I was preaching several years ago. It's been about three years now. I was preaching in South Carolina. And uh, we were starting the meeting on Sunday night. And uh, I showed up peeling in on two wheels as I usually do because I'm always late. And I wasn't staying in a hotel, I was staying in a motel. You know there's a difference, right? The motel room, you know, the doors are on the outside. God help us. And uh, I pulled up to my motel room and I noticed my neighbor was sitting beside me. He was sitting outside of his room on an office chair, playing on his phone. Now I walked up to him, and those of you that have had this happen, you'll know what I'm talking about. But the Holy Ghost of God whispered to my heart, gave me a burden to share the gospel with that man. I was late. I had to somehow get a shower and throw my suit on and make it to church on time. And uh, in that rush of loading in and getting out, I'll be honest with you, I, I didn't... Good to meet. All day Sunday night, I couldn't get Mario off my mind. Pulled up after church to that little motel and and found that Mario was gone. I didn't see him. I begged God that night, AJ, that I could have another chance to see Mario and share the gospel with him. Monday morning rolled around. I peeked outside. Mario was nowhere to be found. He was in all the way from Los Angeles, California, working construction there in, in South Carolina. And I didn't see him all day Monday. Went to church that night and didn't see him all day. All evening, didn't see Mario. Tuesday rolled around. I didn't see Mario nowhere. Wednesday night, it was the last night of the meeting. And I had planned to go ahead and load my stuff there on Wednesday night and after church, drive about six and a half hours home. And, uh, and I never forget it as long as I live. I loaded in that, that Wednesday night trying to get everything ready. And uh, left that place and didn't see Mario. I drove to church that night, had a wonderful service. It was great. People saved. It was wonderful. And I walked out that Wednesday night still having Mario on my mind. And I was getting ready to leave, head north, to, back to the promised land. That is Ohio. Hallelujah. And uh, I noticed I was missing something pretty important. Every night of the meeting, they were so generous. That church was so gracious to take up a love offering for me every night and give it to me every night. And I was born at night, but I wasn't born last night. And I've learned this, Preacher AJ. You shouldn't keep a bag of money in the car. So here's what I, here's what I do. I usually put it in the nightstand of the motel room I'm staying in to make sure nobody breaks in my car and take it. And I noticed as I got in my vehicle that night, I had left that bag of love offering in the nightstand of the motel room. Now, I wish I could tell you I was thinking real spiritual in that moment, but I wasn't very spiritual. I was having to drive 30 minutes out of my way back to that motel room and get that bag of love offering. Man, I was so mad. I drove all that way. It's going to add an hour to my trip of, of already long night. I was dreading it the way it was, and it added an hour. I was so mad. 
so aggravated Jesse. And I was, I, was, I was listening to music, nothing was helping. I was listening to AJ preach, and it wasn't even helping me. Just mad and aggravated. But I never forget, as long as I live, Jesse, I pulled into that motel, frowning. As I mean, my face was tired, I was frowning so hard. And I pulled in that little motel, and those, those high beams reared around that, the front of my room. And guess who was sitting in the front porch of his motel room? It was Mario. Immediately in that moment, tears filled my eyes. And I said, all right, Lord, that's my bad. Can't help but feel personally responsible about my, about my sad, sour spirit the last 30 minutes. And I knew in that moment, are you listening? I knew in that moment, there's no, there's no coincidences with our and I pulled up to that little room. And I walked outside of that, walked outside of my car, got my love offering bag, and I walked up to him. I said, Mario, I'm supposed to be headed north right now, never to see you again. I told him what happened, told him what I forgot. He said, I told him, I said, I, I told you last Sunday I'm a gospel preacher and I don't believe in happenstance or coincidence. I believe there's a great big God in heaven that loved you enough to send this gospel preacher back to you share the gospel with you. And I said, Mario, are you saved? He said, no, sir. And for five minutes on the front porch of our motel, somebody say amen. amen. I gave the gospel to Mario. And I watched as that big old man started to weep. And I said, Mario, shoo, hallelujah. <laughs> Would you like to trust Christ as your personal Savior? He said, yes, sir. And on the front porch of that motel, Mario got born again by the grace of God. He said, preacher, what are you trying to say? I'm trying to say, we need a fresh burden for sinners. We need a burden. Are you listening tonight? We need a burden. Because God's people might not have a burden for those that don't know Him. Those in hell do. We ought to say, God, not on my watch. While we can make a difference, let's have a burden for sinners.